Hi, and welcome to the Little Ferraro Kitchen Food Show. I am Samantha with the Little Ferraro Kitchen. I'm a food blogger, a cookbook author, and a cooking instructor. On this show, we'll be talking all about weeknight cooking, recipes, fun ingredients. Basically, if you love cooking and love talking about food, this is the place to be. Welcome back to the Little Ferraro Kitchen cooking show. I am Samantha Ferraro, your host. And if you love cooking and love talking about food, just like I do, you are in the right place. So don't go anywhere because we are in the best food season of the year. We are right before Thanksgiving. So we are going head first deep all into holiday cooking talk. On this week's episode, we are talking about three different main course options that you can serve on your Thanksgiving table. Of course, we're going to talk about turkey. I'm going to share all of my favorite tips and tricks and flavor pairings that you can add to your turkey. But also, we're going to talk about two other options. Maybe if you have a vegetarian guest or someone that doesn't prefer to eat turkey, I have some other options for you. And before we get into this week's episode, I always like to share what we've been cooking in our kitchen over the last week. And because my website is on full holiday mode, we have been cooking a lot of Thanksgiving and holiday side dishes in preparation for the holiday. And something I made, it's so simple, but it's just so delicious. We just made the most creamiest mashed potatoes. And I think my trick, and I think this, you you don't need a ricer or anything fancy, but what you should do is heat up the butter and milk together, and then you add that to the cooked potatoes and you whip it together. And it makes the creamiest, fluffiest mashed potatoes. That recipe is on my website, so I will link it in the show notes. I also added some roasted garlic and some more butter, but that's all you need. And it was so delicious. I almost ate the whole entire (laughs) pot, but I won't admit that out loud, even though I just did. Now let's get into this week's topic. Of course, the number one Thanksgiving main course is turkey. So we like to do something a little different, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, but instead of cooking a whole bird, we like to have it butterflied or spatchcocked or even split. And what this does is it gives the turkey more surface area, which means quicker cooking time and crispier skin. So what is butterflied or spatchcock, which can be used interchangeably? Basically, it's taking the bird or even a chicken or a turkey and you're flattening it. So you're removing that backbone and you're pressing down on that, I guess, the breastbone to flatten out the chicken. So it's kind of like an open buck. And if your turkey is small enough, you can spatchcock it. I do this with chicken all the time, but chicken usually is about three-ish pounds. So if you have a small enough turkey, you can probably do it. Or you can have it split where you're taking that backbone off, but also splitting through the entire turkey. So now you have two halves. And you can ask your butcher to do this, or there are lots of tutorials online to do it. But your turkey or your chicken should be thawed because if it's frozen, it'll be a lot harder to do, obviously. We haven't cooked a whole bird in its entirety in years. We really enjoy having the turkey either split or butterflied because it creates a crispier skin and the cooking time is literally cut in half. You can often ask your butcher to do this for you, or you can do it yourself. There are lots of tutorials online and on YouTube to show you how to split or 
a spatchcock, a turkey yourself, just make sure that your turkey is completely thawed. So you do need to give yourself some time still. If you do buy frozen turkey, let that defrost for a few days, and then you can split it or butterfly it. The next tip that we like to do for a really juicy turkey is to dry brine. I get this question asked pretty often, what is brine? Do I need to brine it, a wet brine or a dry brine? So we prefer to do a dry brine, which is basically uh, salt, sometimes there's sugar in there, and any aromatics that you want to add to flavor your meat. So I like to add lots of fresh herbs, such as rosemary, thyme, sometimes oregano. I also like to add in some citrus zest. So if you have any lemons or orange, I like to throw that in as well. And what a brine does is it imparts the flavor of, what, of whatever you add to it, but also keeps all that succulent juiciness inside your meat. And I prefer to do a dry brine over a wet brine because a wet brine, you're adding all those aromatics into a, a big vat of water and then your turkey in there. And that's hard to do because you need to find a place that's cold enough to keep everything cold. You need to find a bucket that's big enough. And now you have this turkey that's wet that you need to dry before you roast it. So I much prefer a dry brine. I think it gives it great flavor and I think it makes for a crispier skin as well. So to dry brine a turkey, what you do is you mix up your salt, sugar, and aromatics, and you rub it all over your turkey. I go under the skin. I go over the skin. I go in every possible crevice. And instead of keeping it in a vat of water, what I like to do is I put my split turkey or my butterfly turkey on a baking sheet, and I make room in my refrigerator. So you still need to make room. And I put it in there, the bottom shelf, uncovered, away from anything else. And I let that sit for at least 24 hours. If you have two days, do it for two days. And what that does is it dries up the skin even more. So when you roast it, you're going to get even crispier skin. And after dry brining, really, you already did all of your seasoning already. There's already salt on there. There's already some herbs on there. So to give it some more fat and more flavor, this is when I smear some softened butter all over. And I go under the skin and all the crevices and all on top. And if you want to add some more herbs, you can do that as well. Sometimes I'll add some more fresh herbs around or some more aromatics around the pan. And then I just pop it in the oven and I cook it until incredibly delicious and golden brown. And that's it. And then just like any other protein, when you remove it from the oven, I let it rest for at least 10, 15 minutes. I cover it with foil and then you can enjoy a delicious turkey. Now, if you are not a fan of turkey, I would recommend the same recipe for a butterflied chicken. I also have a recipe like this on my website that I will link. And you don't have to brine a chicken. I find chicken has a lot more uh, fat and flavor than a turkey. It's not as gamey, so to speak. So I just do a simple compound butter for the chicken. And again, I rub it all over, under the skin, over the skin. But if you want to dry brine your chicken as well, I would do the same recipe. I would just cut the time in half. So I might do it just for eight hours instead of at least one day. Another main course idea for those that might not prefer turkey for Thanksgiving is making individual beef wellingtons. How amazing does that sound? If you're not familiar with what beef wellington is, it's a classic British dish where you have a fillet of beef that is often layered with really different fillings. Sometimes there's a mushroom mixture, pate, or some prosciutto. 
And then everything is encased in a puff pastry. And then the entire roast is baked in the oven until the pastry is golden brown and the steak is perfectly medium to medium rare. So I just posted this recipe on my website. We made it last year for the holidays and I'm still dreaming about it. Actually, we might do it again <laughs> this year. But beef wellington is a fantastic option for those that don't like turkey. It's flavorful, it's filling, it's very homey and comforting. And really, all you need are a few steps to make a really good beef wellington. If you can make a really good steak and sear a steak, you can make beef wellington. Traditionally, beef wellington is made with one piece of beef tenderloin that is all wrapped in puff pastry and then sliced to individual servings. But instead, I took that and I made little filet mignons and I wrapped that in its individual puff pastry. Now, like I said, if you can cook a steak, you can make this. So what you want to do is pat your meat dry very well with some paper towels and then give it a really good hard sear in a cast iron skillet. What we're looking for is a really nice crust on both sides, but we don't want to cook the steak internally because it's going to finish cooking in the oven. So give it a good sear, both sides, I would say two minutes at the most, and then remove it and let it cool. It should be totally raw in the center, and that's okay because when we bake it in the oven, it takes about 20 minutes and it will come up to temperature to about medium to medium rare. There is a mixture that is normally added to a beef wellington. Now, excuse me, I don't speak French, but I believe it's pronounced duxel. And what that is, is a fine chopping of mushrooms that has shallots and some herbs. And that is layered with the steak inside the puff pastry. So what I like to do is I like to saute chopped mushrooms. And if you have roasted chestnuts, I chop a shallot. I saute all of that together with some herbs and butter. And then for a little flavor, I like to add a splash of sherry. Now, if you don't have sherry wine, a splash of red wine would work fantastic just to give it some uh, more layers of flavor. And then I saute that until the mushrooms release all their liquid and darken in color. And then I put that aside and let it cool. So once you have that done, once you have your steak done, and as long as you have your pastry defrosted, I use puff pastry, you are ready to build your beef wellington. Another option for filling your beef wellington is adding a little spread of pork or chicken pate. This just gives it a little bit of delicious funkiness. I really like it. A little goes a long way, maybe just a tablespoon. You could also add a slice of prosciutto, which would offer that salty, funky umaminess that you get from the pate, but not be as pungent and strong. And that's also another delicious option. So once you have everything ready to build, all you have to do is layer up your mushroom mixture, pate or prosciutto if you're using, your cooled filet of steak. I also like to brush the filet with a little Dijon mustard. And then you wrap your puff pastry all around it until it's a nice little package. Turn it over so the seam side is down. And then here you can make a little simple design with your pastry. So I take a paring knife and I very lightly score the top of the pastry. I brush it with some egg wash, sprinkle some really coarse sea salt on top, and then pop it in the oven. I will include the link to the recipe. I don't remember exactly how long to do it, but I will include the link to the recipe. I think it's about 400 degrees for maybe 20-ish minutes. And this is a good time to use your meat thermometer. 
If you don't know the internal temperature of something, even with turkey, sometimes I get questions about adding stuffing to turkey and is it safe? Well, it's safe as long as it reaches the uh, proper internal temperature. So just like the steak, if you want to make sure that you are reaching that medium or medium rare, get a meat thermometer, stick it in the center, and that will tell you the exact temperature of what you're reaching. For beef wellington, we prefer a medium rare center, so that's about 130 degrees. And because it's already encased in this puff pastry, it's going to be hard to tell when the beef reaches that. So I highly recommend investing in a meat thermometer. They are honestly anywhere from 10 to $20, and you will use it for your Thanksgiving, Christmas, any holiday recipe, anything that you want to make sure that internal temperature is correct. I highly recommend getting one. If you have guests that don't eat meat of any kind, I have a really fantastic vegetarian main course idea. So what I like to do is I like to utilize really hearty fall squash, either delicata squash or acorn squash. And they are perfect because they have a cavity in there that you can stuff with really anything you want. So for a vegetarian option, I like to do a really flavorful rice mixture. So what I like to do is I prep my squash, depending on what squash you're using, some cook quicker than others. But for this recipe, we'll talk about acorn squash. So acorn squash is pretty hearty and really thick, so it needs some time to pre-roast before you add your filling. So what I like to do is I cut my acorn squash in half, and each half can be a serving for one person. Once you cut the squash in half, remove the seeds, and I like to season the squash here with some oil or some really warm flavors of cinnamon, maybe a little maple syrup, or if you want to do something more smoky, some cumin or cayenne would be really delicious. And I face the squash cut side down, pop it in the oven, and I start to pre-bake it for about 20 minutes to give it a head start. Once that's done, I let it cool slightly until it's easier to handle. And this is when I like to fill with really different fillings. So I like to do a really flavorful rice mixture. So I make some basmati rice or a rice pilaf, and I add some really nice uh, fall flavors of dried cranberries or dried cherries. I add lots of herbs such as parsley. I also like to add some toasted pine nuts or toasted slivered almonds for added crunch. And I may add some warm spices of cumin and nutmeg and a little cinnamon. I mix everything together, stuff that into the cavity of your squash, and then continue baking that in the oven for another 20 minutes until the squash is fork tender. And just like what that means is you take a fork and you kind of stab it right in the squash. And if it goes in and comes out easily, your squash is ready. I also do something very similar with a delicata squash, which is one of my favorite squashes of the fall and winter season. So delicata squash is a longer rectangular uh, shaped squash. And it's called delicata because it's very delicate and buttery. And you can eat the skin really easily. So I often make delicata squash just to roast and eat as its own. But it also has a really easy cavity to fill with different fillings. I have another recipe on my website where I did a Mediterranean spin on it. And I stuffed the cavity of the delicata squash with some cooked lentils that also had really nice flavors of cumin. 
and then topped everything with some really fun sauces of a creamy yogurt sauce and a spicy herby sauce and some pomegranate seeds. And it's so beautiful to look at because usually a delicata squash is kind of this orange yellow color. And then you stuff it with lentils or rice. And then you top it with all these different um, toppings and sauces such as pomegranate seeds and creamy yogurt. And all the colors are just really beautiful together. Plus, it's delicious and tasty. I hope some of those ideas gave you some cooking inspiration to try in the kitchen this holiday season. And if you want to try something different with turkey this year, just like what we do every year, try a dry brine and ask your butcher to either split it or butterfly it. I promise you your chicken or your turkey skin or chicken skin will become crispy and it will cook in half the time of a whole bird. And if you don't have guests that enjoy turkey as much as you do or as much as we do, there are other options to make a really impressive holiday dinner. You can try the beef wellington. I also have a recipe for salmon wellington, which I think I have talked about before, where you layer salmon with other fillings. In this case, it would be like a spinach filling would be really delicious. And then wrap everything in puff pastry and then bake away. And of course, for your vegetarian guests, you know, think of a really hearty squash for a main course and different ideas that you can stuff those cavities in. That cavity really is a perfect vessel to put a filling in. And I like to do a really nice spiced rice. So those are a few options to make for your holiday dinner. I know that we are going to make a few of those. And if you have any holiday cooking questions or Thanksgiving cooking questions, please let me know. I am all over social media. You can find me on Instagram at Ferraro Kitchen, on Facebook at The Little Ferraro Kitchen. And if you are looking for more holiday recipes, head to my website at littleferrarokitchen.com. Happy holidays, happy cooking. I will see you in the kitchen next time.